Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat. And folks, this is an episode that we were hoping we wouldn't have to bring to you tonight. It's an episode talking about the end of the 2023-2024 Buffalo Bills season. The Bills lose to the Kansas City Chiefs 27-24. to The Chiefs move on to the AFC Championship game to take on the Baltimore Ravens. With me tonight to break it all down is Luca. Uh, Luke, I'm not going to ask you how you're doing. We will certainly get into that. But uh, this one just kind of goes on the pile, Luca, of uh, miserable Bills games we've experienced. You know, you and I have gone through some of even the ones that weren't playoff games, like the Dallas Monday night game, um, the the Blizzard game in Cleveland where it was like 12 to nothing they lost or 8 to nothing. Um, the 6 to 3 game against, uh, you know, it's and also Cleveland, you know, some of these playoff losses, Houston. Um, so how are you? It's fresh. This, this game ended less than two hours ago. How, how are you feeling about this? Numb. Just yeah. it's I to the last time I can truly remember feeling because I don't even think I felt this way actually um, post 13 seconds. Um, to describe how I felt there, I, I think the benefit I had was I was so, at someone else's place. So it was one of those things where it felt so close and it, you know, it just wasn't there. And, you know, then it just, someone else drove down the field and beat you in the final, you know, in the final moments, quote unquote. Um, and you just, it, it slipped through the fingers. <clears throat> so it was just disheartening, um, and even then you could value just what historical game for the ages it was, even if you felt, or even if we, you know, we were on the short side of it um, as fans, but I, I had to drive home and that kind of became a reflective period. I don't think I said too many words to myself or much, but I don't remember being this numb. The last time I kind of remember being this numb is um, in a football perspective is Super Bowl 43. And I don't need to get into that one, but, it's one of those things where you just truly can't process in the moment just how frustrating it is where it felt like everything was lined up for the opportunity pregame. This is everything, as we've discussed in previous shows leading up to this, that the Bills have been building for years now for the opportunity of. And this was it. And and were they at 100% health? No. Would, would it have been nice, of course, to have the likes of a Milano and others there? Yes, of course. But there's no excuses in that regard. No one's ever 100% healthy. You know, the Chiefs were banged up in their own right with their own variety of things. And that's just the reality of this sport, especially this deep into the season. And it's just for this game to end the way that it did um, and, and even just in a fashion that just you feel like it's just one of those things where unlike 13 seconds, even I felt like, well, that team is still going to get back. They, that there's a reason that, you know, leading into the season following that the bills were betting favorites to go to the super bowl, because the last time you saw them on the field, it was spectacular. The end of last season, it was heartbreaking. And you just like in a frustration way and changes were needed and stuff of that nature and stuff of that. But, None of those feel like this where it's almost like, what more do you need to do? Like, it's one of those things where you feel like you truly may have hit that wall. And it, is there 
it's almost to wrap this up quick. It's almost like the idea that started creeping in my head before we started recording. Josh was, are we just the Philip Rivers Chargers? Are we just that team that's going to be impressive and be able to put up stats through a season, always be in the mix when it comes to the playoffs? But then when Peyton or Tom come to town and you really need to get it done in crunch time, it's just never going to happen. You're going to be held back by either above average coaching, but not elite coaching and or just not a good enough supporting cast around what seems to be a franchise quarterback and like all of these different things. Or is the ball just not going to bounce your way like 13 seconds where you literally did everything you could and then just in a blink of an eye, it was taken from you or whatever it might be. It's just one of those things where doubts and thoughts and it, it all accumulates to this numb feeling where it's like, what, what does the future hold? Because I truly don't know anymore. I, I don't know where the bills can go from here. You know, I've seen things where people are like, all right, we're focused on this now already by some, I respect you. Yeah. If you're able to sit there and watch that yeah. game and move forward with some other objective and mindset, but. I, there are massive things just rattling around this brain that just are numbing from head to toe. And it's just, you question a lot going on right now. So I hear your pain. I'm feeling your pain. And for those of you out there listening, I'm sure you have pain too. What, what I will tell you all, and I'm speaking to myself in this too, speaking to Luca, we are in it right now. When you lose a playoff game, particularly a heartbreaker, the deeper you go in the John Madden always said, the deeper you go in the playoffs, the more it hurts. And this one, you know, this was a close loss. This wasn't like the Houston Texans yesterday who had the entire fourth quarter to kind of process what was happening on the scoreboard. And really, you know, by the time the game ended or even the bills last year against the Bengals, where it was pretty evident in the middle of the fourth quarter, early fourth quarter, it wasn't going to be their day. This one went right down to the wire. And I think there are going to be conversations about what does the offseason bring. And Luca and I will certainly be here to navigate through that because this is going to be a tricky offseason. I saw Jim Rome say that the Bills can't run it back, um, that they've kind of hit their ceiling. And I, I, I always wonder, like, how do you how do you think of that? Like, does run it back mean you basically just re-sign all your free agents? Like, Micah, I, I don't think the Bills necessarily have the option to do that. We'll get into that, you know, maybe later this show, maybe this offseason, whatever. But I, when I think of run it back, I think of Alan McDermott, you know, and like the big names Diggs, and, you know, my biggest takeaway from this game, Luca, and, and I'm a Sean McDermott fan. I really am. But when you think about the bills and chiefs, when they play, not just in the playoffs, but regular season, it always comes down to inches, three points here, three points there. Let's go through Sean McDermott's night. He elected to dress a punter who had an injury and it cost them field position. Okay. They had it. They had an easy option to go with Matt Hawk. We went through it on Friday, the way they could have gotten Hawk on the roster and still had Isabella and AJ Klein up. He elected to go with the punter cost them field position and it put them in a dicey situation. I'm not going to blame McDermott for how poorly the defense played. That's not on my list of reasons to be mad at McDermott right now. He was up against it with personnel and the guy on the other side of the field is a magician. He played like it tonight. McDermott ran a fake punt in a situation where you needed five yards and your quarterback was on a heater. And there just was nothing about that play, the way it's set up, that seemed like a good idea. And then as it was playing out, you're watching it, you're like, that seemed like the wrong spot to do that. If you're going to go for it, go with Josh Allen. 
Luca will get into the final drive and not only how they mismanaged the clock, but how they mismanaged the spot on the field that they lined up Tyler Bass inches, inches, details. These are the things that in a game that was decided by three points, the bills came up short here, came up short there. And now you're left wondering in, in a day, in a day where the bills just needed one extra inch and they would have won this game. Andy Reed and Patrick Mahomes were buttoned up. Were they perfect? No, they, they blew some second half timeouts. They fumbled the ball out of an end zone because they ran a trick play to Hardman instead of just handing it to Pacheco, who probably would have just walked into the end zone. But in a game, in a season, in a sport that oftentimes comes down to one play, my takeaway from this game, Luca, fair or unfair, is that Sean McDermott at the end of the day was a net negative because there are multiple examples that we can go through of where he didn't give his team the necessary advantages in a game that almost everybody thought was going to be very close. Yeah, I mean, even going to your point about dressing the punter, which it was it was readily apparent it, it, right out the gate. As soon as you saw your first look at Sam Martin, it's like he shouldn't be playing through this. Um, but even on top of that, just to stack it up, I don't know what the snap count ended as and everything like that, but you chose to do this in sight of trying to elevate, which we would assume, of course, being that AJ Klein was the other, um, which was obviously vital tonight of all yeah. nights. Um, but you elevated uh, Isabella and unlike the Steelers game where you saw some sort of reason for him being there offensively, there was none tonight. I mean, I cannot recall even a moment where I recognized seeing him on the field, let alone any sort of reason that he should have been dressed. So whether it was for special teams purposes or whatever is moot in my mind, because it's a, it's an even more so net negative when you add the fact that you are putting Sam Martin out there who clearly is not capable of doing a job where you can sit there and talk about how bad of a punter Matt Hawk may be in your eyes and everything like that. And I don't necessarily disagree with you hundred percent, but a punter who has punted in this league at full health is probably better than whatever the heck you want to call that with Sam Martin. And that is not at Sam Martin's fault. I would think because you have a medical staff, that should be able to tell you as well as practices and things of that nature, where you are seeing him, that you should understand what is happening. And you as the coach need to be able to make a tough decision. If that is the case, that if you need to use one of those elevation spots at the end of the day for a punter, because you are not capable of using the one on the roster currently, it is what it is. And you should be making that decision. And McDermott fell massively short on that. I'm with you that McDermott had a net negative day today. And I, it's one of those things where I'm not thinking a fire McDermott conversation is needed. I, I think that's one extremely reactionary to just a upsetting moment that is post game of this, but also, you know, and it's something that maybe can be discussed if there's even anything there, because it's not something that I would necessarily um, just completely ignore the conversation of, but in respect to tonight, it's just McDermott showed just how incapable he is of being detail oriented. And 
it's just, as you said, we can go into it a little bit more on that final drive. It's it just a pure example. And the example that I, you know, that you even led to that I get that I'm like, yeah, he's just not focused on the details, something you need your head coach to be on the final drive. You can talk about the plays and what was thrown at and things like that, specifically right after the two minute warning, of course, where Allen just short arm Shakir in the end zone, which is open. But, you know, that happens. And then uh, the following play, the one that I honestly have a little bit more of an issue with, you are lined up on the right hash. And the play design is a pass that seems to have your entire weapons, all your receivers flowing to the right. So there's a general understanding that all your receivers, all your available options are going to be the right side. Now, if you pick up the first down, of course, this is all moot. But the little detail inside of that is if you do not pick up this first down and you end up having the result that happened with an incomplete pass and or just come up short of a first down and feel you're going for a field goal. The problem is you're now lined up on the right hash and you have spent all night up until that point watching your kicker completely cut across a ball. Now, I'm not an NFL level kicker. I don't have an NFL kicker understanding, but. Just as a general spectator and someone that just watches football, I believe there are others out there that could feel the same way. You are watching him consistently, regardless of the wind, cut across a ball. And it's essentially, in a golfer's term, of course, hard slicing to the right. It is just, that is what it is. Matt Prater in Arizona has been kicking a ball like this on purpose for now, it feels like three, four years. And the Cardinals, like when they kick their extra points, it's always lined up on the left hash. When they're even setting up for game-winning field goals, even like week 18 this season, a four-win team with a rookie head coach made sure they set it up so it was on the left hash to give their kicker the best opportunity to kick with the style and way that he does. And McDermott was not conscientious of this and was not relaying this to Joe Brady, if that's necessary, anything, that you now have this lined up on the right hash And as I told you before we started recording this, as soon as I realized that it was getting kicked from the right hash, I already in my mind assumed that kick was being missed based on the four previous kicks we saw in this game that all had very, very hard slices to them. And one of them being one of the extra points almost missed in its own right. Even I think that was lined up set. I think they line up their extra point centered. Maybe it's even a little left, but regardless, you watched it happen. And McDermott didn't have the presence of mind to either relay that to Joe Brady and or I mean, I will say, like, it's not Joe Brady's job, but like even he could have eyes to understand that he's up in the booth. I'm not going to blame him for it because that's on McDermott. That is his job to manage the game. And he wasn't paying attention to that. And that's just a microcosm of the other things that you have pointed out and that have been highlighted throughout this game, that the detail and the attention to detail was just not there. And it's something we've said about McDermott for years now, that in crunch time, in big moments, he just doesn't have that in him. And it has let the Bills down once again in the opportune moment they had with the Chiefs in their house, in the divisional round to take care of business. And that is inevitably why they came up short. Yeah, and I think even thinking about some of those touchdown drives, the Bills had a delay a game on one of those touchdown drives, and it's just little things like that don't seem like a huge deal at the end because Josh Allen erased it with a beautiful throw to Khalil Shakir. But just little things like that, your team is constantly having to swim upstream. And I think McDermott is is a 
pretty good coach. I really do. I, I don't, I don't think it'll be easy if the bills, I don't think they're going to move on with them. If they decide to move on from him, I don't think it's going to just be a slam dunk. They're going to find somebody better, but you know, we we've seen him now just get beaten um, on the details by Andy Reid, And, you know, I, I always kind of look back at some of those new England Patriot teams that won the Super Bowl all the time. And, and that Patriot dynasty with Brady and Belichick and, there was just, there's just, I've been watching old games. There's just one play where um, the Patriots are lined up to kick a field goal. They're on like the 15 yard line and the field goal unit team runs in late. It's the second half. And it looks like, like they're going to, they're all kind of confused and like they should call timeout. And Vinatieri just kind of stands there and says, like puts his arms up like, no, we're taking a delay game. We're not burning a second half timeout. I can make this field goal from the 20, not the 15. And it's, it's such a nothing play. But it's the details that Bill Belichick's teams were always on top of that Vinatieri has the presence of mind in that moment to know I'm just going to kick the ball from the 20 and save this timeout because this timeout is way more important than maybe increasing our field goal percentage by like 1%. And just little things like that seem to be absent from the Bills in the McDermott era. And, and I don't know, but oh boy, Luca. Did you feel like the Bills were going to win this game in, until it ended? How, what was your confidence level that they were going to win? Because I will tell you, when when it became evident to me that the defense could not get stops, I my confidence level started to really sink. And I felt like the only way the Bills really could win this game is if it played out kind of like it did, where the Bills had the ball last with a chance to be firing at the end zone to score without Kansas city having enough time to do anything. Um, turns out that's kind of what happened. But up until that point, I just had this feeling in the pit of my stomach, like they're not going to be able to get stops, but where was your confidence level throughout this game? Um, yeah, I, I think I would imagine most individuals, the issue with the defense, not being able to stop Mahomes in that offense, um, which even in the first half, like they held Bucker to, or they held them to a somewhat longer field goal, 47 yarder early on. Of course they held them to another field goal, a chip shot. They were able to keep them out of the end zone. Even in those drives, those felt very uneasy. So I'm with you in regard that it's like, once you kind of got the feeling that, Hey, these bills are not going to stop Mahomes, And on top of that, the bills had already had to punt first in this game my confidence from decently, I, I don't want to say high a, in general, but feeling good about it definitely dipped to a true coin flip, if not a little bit uneasy, but it's, it kind of stayed there up until the fake punt and at the fake punt in my eyes. And, and you know, it's not like I'm the only individual that says this. It's just, we blinked first. And, and this was the kind of game that even, you know, prior to that, I said, this game is starting to feel like one, where the team that blinks first will lose. And even in that, even in that moment, what led right after failing a fake punt, that was a disaster. They somehow got a gift and they got a bounce. They got the puck luck. They got the ball bounce and whatever you want to call it. And the ball found its way out of the end zone, a hot topic around league circles, of course. So that might be the last one we see potentially um, where you're rewarded with, instead of them basically looking at an inevitable touchdown from the two, you get the ball back at your own 20 and it's like nothing ever happened. 
So even as you blinked first, it felt good. So at that moment in time, I will say I was back in the, okay, we can still win this. Like, I don't want to say we, it wasn't a, we are going to win this. It was a, we we can still win this. And at the two minute warning, that was when I was back to where I started the game at with feeling, I'm feeling good that we're going to win this game. Mm -hmm. At the two minute warning, I was feeling good. And even after the Shakir short arm, I was like, that was there. Allen saw it. I get the digs open thing. There's a whole nother discussion there that I don't know if we need to have or not. Anyways, like I've said, I'm okay with either option. Realistically, they're both good options. The one that was going to get you six points. And unfortunately, Allen just couldn't step through. You even mentioned, I don't know if it was before or if here, Romo mentioned that his arm was potentially hit. I don't remember seeing that. We weren't focused on that. Regardless, it was short. But that that play after and the moment that it shifted over to the right hash, it was an incredible dip in my emotions, even before the miss became real, that I went from we're going to win this game or we have a good chance to win this game to we just lost this game. The missed field goal hadn't even happened yet, and I already was in that mindset, in that process. And I had to, you know, as a fan and an individual, you still hold on to any glimmer of hope. Of course, you're like, if you hold them um, to a three and out, you can get the ball back with, say, 40, 50 seconds. And, you know, Josh Allen could be Josh Allen. Anything's possible. Right. But that's like the the old puncher's chance at that point. Like, it's yeah. you're not holding on to much hope there, but it's just something. And truly, when it was over, was first and 10. And Pacheco just pounds an eight yarder right in your face. And that's that's sign sealed deliver. Yes, they don't have the first down yet. But if you know a run's coming and you should be committing to the run and you're allowing an eight yard run, you're screwed. It's over. It's done. Just accept it. At that point, just accept it. And that was it. The roller coaster of emotions in less than a minute of game time and probably real time, what, five minutes yeah. was an unbelievable dip. A, a dip that would probably be the largest drop in roller coaster and on a roller coaster in the world. It was just surreal to fight like and others. I am positive shared this. It was just, yeah, that was the moment truly where I then accepted that we were going to lose this game. And, and up until then, I still had a feeling that things were good, but yeah, it lined up on the right hash the way bass is kicking and been far from money all season. It, it was just a biz. That was, it, it was over. When Pacheco gets eight yards on first down, I grabbed the remote and I told my wife, I'm going to turn this off if they get the first down. And I was just braced for it. Like I was, I knew at that point it was over. And she said, why? And I was like, I, I, I was so tired. And now look, folks, I'm going to look into the camera and say something to be perfectly clear. This is not a Taylor Swift take. Okay. I promise you, I have no problem with Taylor Swift being a chiefs fan. I was so tired of seeing that, that, that box of Chiefs fans that included Taylor Swift, included Brittany Mahomes, included Jason Kelsey. Every time they made a good play, it would go to that box. It has nothing to do with Taylor Swift, the fact that she's a female, the fact that she's a superstar. I think, hey, good for her, her team won. As a Bills fan, it was just annoying. Every time something big happened, they, they showed a bunch of Chiefs fans celebrating. So I knew what was going to happen. They'd get a first down, and then they'd go right to that booth. So I just turned it off. That, But I want to go back to that sequence you just talked about. Let's relive this, Luca. That sounds like a lot of fun. Third and four, three minutes and 20 seconds left. The Bills are at the 34-yard line. And what a moment this was because 34-yard line 
is almost on the brink of field goal range with the way the wind was whipping around anyway. Um, I felt like it was four down territory in that scenario. And the uh, Josh Allen bobbles the snap and still like darts it into, I believe it was Shakir. I'm not Shakir, uh, Sherfield. Let me just, I have it right here. Sherfield for seven yards. At that point in time, I felt like the Bills were going to win. That was the first moment where I was like, oh man, they're going to win this because you move the chains, you, the clock's still moving, the Chiefs only have two timeouts left, and the Bills then take it down to the two-minute warning after a one-yard James Cook run up the middle. You're coming back from the two-minute warning, and that's where you get second and nine, the Buffalo 26, the Shakir play in the end zone. Diggs running across the middle. Now look, I think Diggs looked more open than he really was, to Luca's point. If you make that throw, I think it's probably a three or four yard play, which is better than an incomplete pass. It would have been third and five. But this idea that Diggs was going to run for like 10 yards is not going to happen. The Chiefs had two DBs crashing down that were going to tackle Diggs, and they have one of the best tackling secondaries in the sport. And then third and nine, Josh Allen, incomplete pass, um, deep right, which set up the field goal. I thought the game was over on after third down. Uh, it had nothing to do. Uh, this is not me absolving Tyler Bass of blame. He needs to make that kick. He's a professional kicker. He plays in this stadium. Harrison Bucker looked like he had no issues with the wind. Um, Tyler Bass has to make that kick. But when the Bills, who are driving down, burning clock, take over the ball with eight minutes left, down by three, and they are just draining the clock, and in your mind you're thinking, oh, this is perfect. They're going to score with like 20 seconds left and the chiefs are going to need a touchdown with no timeouts. They are cooked. And then they go deep shot, deep shot, field goal miss. When Tyler Bass trots on there for this field goal, he's trotting on with a minute 47 left. So the 44 yard field goal going wide, right stunk. That was pretty much the nail in the coffin. But even if he makes it, it's a tie game. And Patrick Mahomes is coming on the field with a minute and a half after the kickoff. All he has to do is get in field goal range for Harrison Butker. I felt like it was a foregone conclusion you'd get in field goal range. I, I don't have to be right about that. But to me, it was such a such a letdown from where that drive started and how that drive felt to just immediately be in. Now we need a long field goal to tie it. it that's to me where the, where the game felt over. There was a play earlier in that drive, Luca. Josh Allen uncorks a 60-yard in the air ball that goes right through the hands of Stefan Diggs. It would have been a really good catch. It's a catch I think you'd expect your number one receiver to make. And we can be honest about this. Diggs had a pretty outspoken offseason about not getting the ball in crucial games in crucial spots. Well, here was the game. Here was the spot. And he doesn't make the play. Uh, what, what was your read on that play? Um, how much blame do you put on Diggs for not making that play? Because I will tell you, as somebody who's a big Diggs fan, um, that's, that's a very disappointing moment for him. Diggs has got to catch that ball. Mm -hmm. It's pff, anyone. So funny interaction happened with that play in my living room. Uh, a friend of mine, um, who will remain nameless, uh, made a comment after and it's, it was like a gut comment that I don't even believe he truly, like, it was like where blame was being thrown. It was just like, Man, Allen, if Allen could have led him a little bit more and you're just thinking like then Diggs wouldn't have had to come back a little bit to the ball. And the immediate realization, of course, happened with him himself, myself. I said it and it was all agreed upon. It's like 
Allen, you're saying 60 yards in the air. I, I don't know. I felt like he released it at like the 10 and he hit digs at what? The 25, the 20 on the, mm-hmm. like that could have been 70 yards in the air. It's like mm-hmm. to ask even Josh Allen to lead it any further, of course, is a ridiculous thing in all reality, right? It, it's yes. You looked at it at just the tail end and it's like, oh, it does stink a little bit that Diggs had to slow down just a, a little bit. He's in a contested situation now of some regard. It still hits him in the hands, but it makes the catch a little bit more difficult. <laughs> it hit your number one, someone that's supposed to be one of the best in the league, in the hands or hand area, whatever you want to say, and he does not come down with it. And, and that was, I mean, to see the stat line in front of me of eight targets for three catches and 21 yards, with that one, of course, being the highlight or the low light, yeah. fits. And it is as simple as that. He's got to catch that ball. That is a ball that if you put Gabe Davis in there instead, he is being berated over for dropping it. If that is Gabe Davis in that moment, he is being harassed endlessly. And everyone is saying, let that door hit you in the ass on the way out. Like that is what that is. That is how close and how much of a that needs to be caught that ball is if you change the person if you change the number that is exactly the reaction that happens mm-hmm. i think Diggs will get some sort of emotional pass or forgotten or whatever you want to call it but man if you want to be that guy and, and this is not any criticism on Diggs as a person either i will say i want my receiver to kind of be in that mindset like he was but if you are that guy you're catching that ball and it was just such a disappointing thing because it's one of those things too where a conversation as well was happening in my living room where it was like there's still belief in digs because he can be that person you saw in miami where he did kind of double move jalen ramsey was wide open and then in that case allen did miss him and it was there and and digs was just like oh it was there like if only it got to me things like that and it's like okay yeah he's still there well there it was it was there and allen was on all night i mean allen hit Sherfield twice in the mm-hmm. most perfect spots both times. And <laughs> unfortunately, Sherfield was not figuring it out there, but that is Trent Sherfield, not right. Stefan Diggs. Right. And it is like, dude, catch the damn ball. Yeah. Um, Justin Jefferson, you think makes that play? Jamar Chase, CD Lamb, yep. Tyreek Hill, like yep. Keenan Allen, those guys are making that play for their quarterback. And that's where. That's where it starts an uncomfortable conversation for me that's, that's going to be lingering this offseason because I've already seen tweets out there like this was Stefan Diggs' last game as a Buffalo Bill. And <clears throat> here's not not from like anybody that matters, just like speculative NFL rumors accounts and stuff. But there's I think there's a I think from a national perspective, I think the idea is that the, the Bills will move on from Diggs because they haven't looked under the hood of his contract. Contract aside, let's just set it to the side. How open would you be, Luca, to moving on from Stefan Diggs this offseason? Because I will tell you, uh, this is not trying to be reactionary to this game. I'm not, I, I don't feel like I'm living in this like emotional place of like fire everybody, even though I've already like kind of advocated for, hey, McDermott may not be the guy. Now I'm about to make a case against Diggs. I still think Diggs is a top level receiver. Um, but 
I feel like where I think the Bills are going in 2024, what they're up against with the cap, with the anchor that is the Von Miller contract and the Tredavious White contract, two players who may give them nothing next year but take up such a significant portion of their cap, if they could find a way to get cap relief from Diggs. And, and you know, for the sake of the conversation, they can get cap relief if they were to move on from Diggs. They'd have to make it a post-June 1st cut. And they, they could end up saving, you know, $8 million against the cap. But what it really ends up doing is it just gets it off the books. So it's gone if for, the, for the future. Given what you saw from Diggs this year, where he hasn't had a 100-yard game since October, he gets 22 yards in the playoffs. He did have the big catch against Miami, but I'd say the Diggs highlights were few and far between the last three months of the season. If there was a way for the Bills to get him off the roster. And I'm not talking like a Tyreek Hill level trade where they get a one, a two, and a three. I'm talking like where maybe they get a, a minimal like mid-round pick just to like get the salary off the roster. Maybe you get like a fourth round pick. Would you be open to it at this point in time? It's a really tough, tough question. I mean, I do believe there's still something in the tank with Diggs. And it would be very, it'd be very, very difficult if how are you going to then sell me and not that I truly matter or any fans, I'm going to just say this in all respects. I, I, this is not me saying fans don't matter, but in the front office and with these kinds of decisions, the fans don't matter. Yeah. Okay? That's just the reality of it. How are though, then you supposed to explain to let's say the media and the fans and everything on we're moving forward. We're still in a championship window. And what you did is just send Stefan Diggs for a sixth round pick to get him off the books. And you already have Gabe Davis. Now at that point in time, like you're saying with the timing and everything, Gabe Davis situation, that situation may be figured out whether it's mm -hmm. resigned or they have figured out that they're going to move on from him. Khalil Shakir is great, but is he ready to be a number one? Absolutely not. So how are you going to address that now? Because if you don't have that, we've seen what this Bills team, although Josh Allen's a hell of a lot better than what he was pre-digs, but regardless, you've seen what this offense is without that true staple number one, and what are you going to do about it? Like, are you going to address that in the draft and be very aggressive in trying to do so? Because you now sit in a situation where that's what you would have to do if you want to try to get – like that guy who can be a day one, number one, that's the reality of it. So how are you going to explain that? And that would be tough. The other caveat of this though, is I think a sit down conversation is probably needed with digs in the front office and stuff. And just, and this is not uh he doesn't want to be here, but you want to see what he feels in potentially he would be involved in that move. Mm -hmm. And if there's a willingness that he wants to go elsewhere to see what's going on, whether it's play with his brother in Dallas or whatever it might be, like figure that part out of it too. If he then turns around and goes, I am very committed to this project. I am very committed to 17 and Josh Allen. I'm committed to what has happened. And I like where this is going. You definitely don't move. Him. Like you don't touch that. You try to figure out the cap situation and how you're going to get around it elsewhere, because that is not going to be the solution. So it's kind of like a two-parter with a lot of gray area there. I I would be open to the idea if circumstances dictated in a way that it would make sense, I guess, is the way to put it. Like, I don't think it's such a black and white kind of question. I, I think that's truly one where the player and his willingness to be involved in what's going on in the near future 
matters. Also on top of it, if you do commit draft capital this year to a receiver, which seems like a great draft looking ahead for a potential stud receiver, it would be nice to have a digs on the roster that can help transition into that as well. So there's a lot of different variables and stuff. I would just to give you a simple answer. Yes, I'd be open to it, but it would have to kind of fit right. It would have to make sense for a lot of different parties and they're better. If you move digs, you better explicitive happen or have some plan that is going to make sure you have that number one target because Kincaid in sophomore year, Shakir in his third year, those are not your number one answers. Those are still very, very high-end talent guys that you have on the roster. You still need that dog. You still need that number one, and you just don't have it currently on this roster. Yeah, it'd get tricky. I think you'd almost have to go with like a Green Bay model where it's like, hey, we have a couple guys we've drafted recently, Kincaid, Shakir, you want to throw Cook in there? We're going to attack the draft again with like a first and maybe a third. And, you know, maybe we add another young tight end of the mix and we'll see what happens. You know, they could even keep Davis at that point in time if they can get him cheap enough and push the money in the future when dig, you know, as, as not Davis as like a one, but like just keep him in the mix. I don't know. I, I look at this roster, Luca, I look at this iteration of the bills and it does feel like a chapter has closed. It feels like this version of the bills. Um, we will never see it again. And it's not Josh Allen. It's probably not Sean McDermott, but it feels like this was the last time we saw Hyde and Poyer play safety tandem together. I would put money on the fact that both of them will not be back next year. One probably will, um, or one maybe will. I could see them both actually being gone. Um, you know, Tredavious White was not looking like the best version of himself before his devastating injury, but that feels like something that probably not coming back, I wouldn't think. And, and then, you know, you think about on the offensive side, I think that's the, and well, you know, Von Miller, that's, that's the most disappointing part of all this is guys who a year and a half, two years ago, maybe a year ago in Von Miller's case were like your best players are now just like, you're not even sure if they're better than average, but you know, you like them because they've been around for a while, but like Tredavious White, Von Miller, I'm going to say it, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde. I didn't see I didn't see a lot of impact from Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde this year. I know Poyer had the fumble on Miko Hardman. I think they're both better than average, but I'm not in a hurry to make either one of those guys eight-figure safeties at this point in their career. They were on the field all night tonight when Travis Kelsey was running wide open. So I mean, not to step in, Poyer on top of it may be at fault. We you would have to watch it again. He might be strictly at fault of the first Kelsey touchdown. Yeah, it sounds like sounds like they wanted to audible to cover three, and he just didn't get the memo. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. No. No. You're good. So I think you kind of look at it, and you're like, man, like that's that's where the digs conversation gets steam with me. Is it's like I want to move off of some of these old guys because here's here's one thing I will tell everybody: I we all need something to feel good about, and we could see this rebuilding, retooling year in 2024 coming a mile away if you just pay a little bit of attention to the Bills cap. They were going to be up against it. Tough decisions are going to need to be made. Coming into 2023, the cupboard looked pretty bare for young talent on this team. The issue was, man, Brandon Bean's not getting a lot out of his drafts. That's why he has to keep going into free agency and, and signing a Leonard Floyd and signing a Puna Ford because his draft picks aren't working out. Here's a beautiful thing that happened in 2023. It's my favorite thing that happened in 2023. 
Terrell Bernard, Khalil Shakir, Dalton Kincaid, James Cook, um, Spencer Brown, Osiris Torrance, Christian Benford. I just named seven players who are going to be starters or very important players on this team who before this season started, you weren't even sure what you had and you feel great about all those guys. I didn't even mention Gregory Rousseau because I feel like he kind of just like stayed the same this year, but he's a good enough player that he also on his rookie deal, there's eight players on their rookie deal and you're going to need players on their rookie deal because of how much cap jail you're going to be in to step up. There's eight players on their rookie deal. I just named that are going to be very important for this team. I am not ready to just give up on Kyer Elam. That's one of like the, the lessons I've learned from this year of guys like Terrell Bernard, Ed Oliver, Spencer Brown developing after in my mind, I kind of already gave up on him. I still want to give him the window to develop, but the bills are so insulated at cornerback. It's hard to see him even getting the path, but I think that plus 10 draft picks, the bills are much better set up to withstand this retooling of the roster and this shaving of the old guys off the roster. than they looked like they were going to be prior to this season starting. I don't have much of an appetite to talk about this off-season, off-season strategy, or hey, the future is bright, Luca. I'm in a bad mood, and I know you're you're not really like one to be like, oh, let's let's spin it forward and talk about how bright the future looks. Like, no, screw that. Like, we we keep hitting your head on this divisional round ceiling, and it's really annoying. Um, but I do think that as we get into this off-season, we distance ourselves from this game. This this newfound like bucket of youthful players that have become very useful to this team is going to be something nice to lean into. And six months ago, we didn't feel nearly as good about it as we do now. Um, Yeah. If you, you want to spend the youth and everything of that nature, you just introduced a whole new clientele to how this pain feels that that's not to then drag it back in the mud, but that's what it is. And hopefully then they could build on the motivation and everything that is what they just felt tonight. And yeah, the future does seem brighter than where it was preseason 2023 and things like that. I mean, the Terrell Bernard one truly is the gem of them all. Mm -hmm. Like that is one where he went from unreliable, healthy scratch after one game of tape to, I mean, we felt the pain of him being missing tonight. And it's it it was a, it was so obvious when you had AJ Klein trying to run down a we'll call 70 percent Travis Kelsey. And it looked like AJ Klein should unfortunately uh, pack up and figure out where his you know, situation is after this game, because that was not it. Not that it's his fault either. You know, I think they were playing a game essentially where if Kelsey was offside of Tehran, it just fell to AJ Klein's responsibility. And that's just. That's Andy, not as bad. Andy Reid's too good at this. <laughs> yeah, he's he's going to find Klein. Yeah, that's not Klein's bag. So it is what it is. If Bernard was there, maybe we're having a different discussion. And that's incredible. It, it's one of those things, too, where I look at the Bernard situation and I go, man, if something like that can happen for a guy like Dorian Williams, who we even saw tonight in flashes, still look good. It's just he kind of looks like that athletic, athletic guy, which Bernard was still last year but he just doesn't have the mental capacity of the game yet. He doesn't understand it from that level of kind of what's going on in front of him. It's moving at times too fast for him. 
It was doing the same for Bernard. Can you now do that for Dorian Williams? Because if you can go into next year with yet another linebacker, even in a depth role. So now you have a cupboard that is essentially Terrell Bernard, Matt Milano, a Dorian Williams who's usable and Tyrell Dodson. That's an incredible foursome right there, because even to the credit of Dodson, he has been very good this year. Shockingly, when not asked to wear the green dot and be the mic, but just to be that will and be that weak side guy that can just handle his business on his own. Right. It's it's the future is bright in a lot of different places that it is going to be fascinating to see where they go. And then from there, take a lot of the draft capital they have, and then also figure out what they're doing with the vets, maybe to acquire more, say like what we were discussing with Stefan Diggs, you get another late round pick that you utilize, whatever it is. I mean, fun. It was funny. You bring up the Packers and just the idea of randomly flashing my head. It's like, how do you convince the Packers to take Stefan Diggs in a second for Christian Watson? Can you convince them that? Because boy, would that be fun? Um, since they don't want to use him, regardless if he has a hamstring injury or not. Uh, man, just oh, dreaming of that idea. Overall, though, the youth is is in a much better spot. Yeah, if if we were sitting here with the similar mindset about the youth as we were in preseason, I think we'd be a lot more doom and gloom than it actually mm-hmm. is in the idea of looking forward. It, it would be... Well, what the heck do we do now? Because I think the idea of moving Steph or do we need to move on from Steph would probably still be there. And yet it's like, well, what do you have as a weapon outside of that? James Cook is in a thing at that moment in time. It's still an unknown. Shakir, you were really questioning if he could truly step up and be that third receiving option at the receiver position. That is an abundant yes at this point. Like, I mean, Kincaid was a rookie. He was just drafted, so you truly don't know what you have in your offense yet at that point. If he was still just a whatever rookie that McDermott can't trust or whatever, you know, Joe Brady and or Dorsey, if he was still on the on the staff, could trust, you know, whatever that situation is. I mean, there are pieces. There are things. It just doesn't feel too removed yet from this game to really yeah. be in uh, – the bright, shiny future situation. I mean, we'll be there. And we'll of there. course we'll, we'll be talking about it, but um, yeah, things are there for the future and there could be change and stuff of that nature that you can overcome. And then at the end of the day, you still have Josh Allen being Josh Allen. And like, if there's one guy who absolutely showed up tonight and did everything he possibly could to will this team to a win, that is number 17. And as long as you have that guy, he can even overcome a lot of different things to keep you in it. Yeah, Alan, he he deserved a better fate. We'll talk about his game here in a second. I want to ask you about the fake punt. And I want to talk about everything that went into the fake punt. I'm looking through the ju- drive chart now. The Bills punted in the second quarter with six minutes and 18 seconds left. After that, Chiefs get the ball back, touchdown. Bills get the ball back, touchdown into half Chiefs start the half off touchdown bills get the ball back touchdown i mean this game is a beauty right chiefs get the ball back touchdown the chiefs don't score the bills don't score again the bills have the ball three different times luca down 27 to 24 and they can't get over the hump get the lead back or even tie the game uh, the first drive after the Chiefs touchdown, this was the touchdown passed or touchdown run by Isaiah Pacheco, four yards. Uh, the Bills go three and out, 
and they have the ball fourth and five at their own 30 yard line. I will tell you, it felt 12 minutes and 57 seconds left. I know it's aggressive and I'm not saying this because the fake punt didn't work. Okay. I'm trying to be honest with you all. This is what I said at the moment. I said, go for it. I said, if you're not stopping them, I'd rather them only have 30 yards of clock to chew up than 70 yards of clock to chew up. And if you hold them to a three and out and they kick a field goal, then the gamble really still kept you within one, one point. That's like a Madden pro way of thinking it. Madden people are always like, Hey, hire the Madden pros to like run your clock management. Cause that's something they do is they're like, I'm not going to give you the opportunity to bleed the clock and score on me. Like you can either score or if I hold you to three and out, then the risk is that I felt like the bill should go for it there. They're at their own 30 five yards. I understand why they didn't the history of the NFL tells you coaches aren't going to go for it there, but they run a fake punt to DeMar Hamlin. And I'm telling you, if you've watched enough football, you're watching that play start and you're thinking they're up to something. And boy, did the chiefs realize they were up to something. And after the game, Tony Romo speculated that because the chiefs only had 10 players on the field that they checked to it, but that was not the case. McDermott and Reed Ferguson both said that this was called from the sideline as they ran on the field. I thought this was an atrocious play call and this is not revisionist history. This is not judging the result. I think if you want five yards in that situation, you give it to your all world, all world quarterback who's on a heater and you don't hike it to a fourth string safety in DeMar Hamlin. Uh, what, what did you think of the fake punt Luca? Because I thought that's where the game was lost. They were bailed out on the next drive by, I mean, Cole Hardman fumble through the end zone. Uh, but I thought that was atrocious game management by McDermott. Yeah, I, I already mentioned it earlier in the episode where, I mean, it's the, it's the moment when a team on either sideline blinked finally. Yeah. Someone blinked, which in that, what that means essentially is that they just showed their, they need to rely on something that they believe they can't pick up in a conventional way, which to what I'm going to say is if you're calling that from the sideline, in what world do you live in that if you want to go for it, you believe there's anything that you have at your disposal that's better than having that ball first touch the hands of 17? Like, what? what is possibly better that you can sell me that is better than having Josh Allen dictate where that ball goes? And if you even try to talk to me about something like that, I'm still not going to listen to you. And nor do I think you're being serious about that conversation because that is just wrong. If you are planning to go for it, that is not trick plays like that. A fake punt are for the regular season. You do not do something like that in the postseason, especially in a crucial moment like that. It's you do the things that you believe are best for you and that team. And there is no world that I believe a fake punt is going to be a high, higher percentage play than anything your conventional offense can run, especially being, let's say, five yards or less. The only thing you may be able to convince me on is if it's a, I don't know, third and 14 and you're on your own 47 and you just like there's no way or you see something where they're just doing one-on-one gunner and you trust your punter to throw a ball that you think you'll truly catch them off guard but even then i would probably trust my all pro quarterback to throw a pass to the sticks 13 yards down the field better than a punter who's got to do that from say 25 yards down the field it's 
it makes no sense to ever call a fake punt in a playoff game when you have any offense that's gotten you there in the first place, let alone one that's being led by Josh Allen. It's just, it's, it's criminal how dumb that is. If that is truly what it was, if they checked into that, that could maybe be the one thing that sold me on it. It's like pre-snap look, they were undermanned on the other side and they've been practicing this all week long kind of deal. It's like, okay, that's the one singular thing you can convince me on. It wasn't called on sideline. They go out for a conventional conventional punt. And for whatever reason, DeMar Hamlin and or Sam Martin, especially considering the night Sam Martin had been having, they checked into that because the look was just right. But if that's not the case, what are we doing here? Yeah. How will this season be remembered, Luca? Is it going to be another season where we look back on it and think the Bills missed an opportunity or they underachieved? Or do you think we will get to a point where we look back on this season and we're like, man, you know what? They lost Matt Milano. They lost Daquan Jones for a good chunk of it. They lost Tredavious White. They were 6-6. Six and six. They fought their way back into the playoff mix. They they won the AFC East the last week of the season. Um, they they had a snowstorm move their wild card game to Monday, so they had short rest. They lost arguably their best defensive player in that wild card game. Their best cornerbacks limping around in the divisional ground. I mean, by the way, love Rasul Douglas. After watching him for about three drives, I was wondering where Kyrie Elam was, and that's that's not a compliment to Rasul Douglas. Like he shouldn't have been playing. It was clear his knee injury was was worse than I, I guess he had been letting on because he was not the best version of himself. Um, this team really just kind of ran out of bodies on defense. Um, how will the season be remembered, Luca? Is it, is it just going to be another one of those, like, we had Josh Allen, we had a shot, it was in front of us, and we set it on fire? Or is or is there possibly going to be some perspective, you know, as, as the pain goes, and it's hard. To, the day it happened, I'm asking you this. I understand it's tricky. Is it possible that, like, a few months from now, we'll take a deep breath and we'll be like, you know what, that that team that team did all right. Uh, I think it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a couple things. I mean, there's definitely going to be kind of that. You're going to be able to lean on resilience and and kind of this team kind of really was resilient and fought through a lot in, in a reflective sense, there will be things to grab on to that are like positive or whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, it will be remembered as just a failed opportunity. And it's something I I made sure and make sure I keep saying it's like this truly was the opportunity you built up for for years. There's no excuse from there to then fall short that that's just that truly is the bottom line of it all. You can hang your hat on things. You can kind of highlight how somehow some way when they were in single digits of a percentage chance to make the playoffs, they dug themselves out of that and not only did they make the playoffs, but they took the two seed and won the division for a fourth straight year. And that's all great, but they let that opportunity and they let the thing that they've been building up for, for years now slip through their fingers and an opportunity was lost. It's not quite the same where I would even put it as the number one opportunity as a, at a championship compared to 2020. I mean, 13 seconds is it's going to take a lot to feel like a championship was lost or slip through the fingers of the clutches that were the opportunity in front of you. Like that one was. Yeah. But overall, this is yet another one in the line. That is an opportunity lost because you had them in your place, something you've been striving for all this time. And now moving forward, 
you just have, I mean, it's impossible to sit there and, and not go anything with, if you are not the one seed and you do everything you possibly can to avoid that Kansas City Chiefs team before it becomes inevitable, it seems like, and you would then meet them in the at your place in the conference championship game, it's like you you have to do everything in your power to be one seed or else you're probably going to end up with the same result because nothing else will change, it feels like. Once you go to KC and or have to play KC in your place, it's it's over. It's it's just another opportunity lost. And you need to luck out like, you know, anyone else out there, like a Big Ben, where just one of your runs, you didn't have to go through Tom Brady and or Peyton Manning. Um, you just were able to figure it out. You got a lucky draw. And in the conference championship, you got Joe Flacco coming to your house, mm-hmm. a familiar foe that you can take care of business, something of that regard. And, and that's. I mean, that is just a sad thought to have, to be quite honest. It's a sad thought, but, man, it's it's realistic. Look, I've been pounding the drum for these Bills being like the mid-2000s Colts where they kept hitting their head on the Patriots ceiling, but they finally got over the hump when they got the Patriots in their building. I, I can't do that anymore. That, that ends tonight. They got, the, they got the Chiefs in their building, and they lost the game. And quite honestly, I, I can't I can't listen to Allen and Mahomes as the new Brady and Manning anymore. I, I think it makes us look goofy. It's way too easy to dispute that. I love Josh Allen. I'm so happy he's our quarterback. But Peyton Manning was winning MVPs. Peyton Manning beat Tom Brady in the playoffs when he got him in his building. Um, we're not there yet. And it, it, it may not be Josh Allen. It's probably not. But there's this team does not deserve that praise. And that stinks. Um, one more big picture question for you. We still got to get to game balls and game checks, but I just thought of this. I was more upset after 13 seconds because it really felt like an opportunity slipped by that was just golden. Cause the, the Bengals, if you remember had won the day before in Tennessee. So you knew whoever won that game in Arrowhead was going to host the AFC championship game. And boy, did the Bengals look like a fraud team that year. They, we, we soon learned that they weren't their offensive line was a mess. I think Quentin Spain was starting for them. They couldn't block it. They got sacked like nine times in Tennessee. In Tennessee, and you just thought, man, if we beat the Chiefs, that team is not going to go to Buffalo and beat the Bills. <laughs> Funny story. Next year they did. Um, but tonight, I don't know if it's because I knew the Ravens. Like in my mind, I wasn't thinking of this, but like I knew the Ravens and the Niners were still in the tournament, and I, I've I've hated all along like how the Bills matched up with the Niners, and you've been pounding the drum like. You know, this Ravens team is like a terrible matchup for the Bills in their current form. But it's like when this game ended, it's not like I felt like the Bills cost themselves a Super Bowl. They cost themselves a shot at it for sure. Uh, But it's not like the same thing with 13 seconds. But what's funny about 13 seconds, and funny is a weird word to use. We had so many conversations after that, that offseason. And Bills fans and national analysts to a man to a woman said, the Bills didn't get it done this year. But they're absolutely going to win a Super Bowl in the Josh Allen era. Josh Allen era, like it was a foregone conclusion. We saw how good they can look. We saw how good he can look. When you have a quarterback that can look that good, you're, it's eventually going to be your year. The chips will fall your way. He's too good. He's going to give him too many opportunities. He'll eventually get one. Now we're sitting here two years later. Josh Allen looked excellent tonight, but now we've seen the Bills lose two home games in the divisional round. Still haven't been back to the AFC championship game. Josh Allen is two years older. 
And now we're kind of staring at like a little bit of a roster reset. Are you confident, Luca, that the Bills are still going to get a Super Bowl in the Josh Allen era? No. I mean, <laughs> no. It's it's why I brought up the Chargers point early on. It's that thought is now entering my brain. That 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 idea that are we Phil are we the Phillip Rivers Chargers? Are are we the Chargers? Are we are we a team that just truly for whatever you know reason, whether it's luck, whether it's skill based, whatever it is, are we just snake bitten to a point where it will not happen with what's in front of us, even though I mean, the Chargers, the only team in NFL history that have the number one ranked defense and number one ranked offense to not win a Super Bowl. They didn't, didn't they not make the playoffs when they had that? Yeah, I think they didn't even make the playoffs. Like, it's just so funny. Like, what the hell? Like, but in that same regard, it's just like, there's a reason Chargers fans are the way that they are. It's just like, well we've already gone through the process of having elite offenses and or elite defenses. We've done this song and dance for years and years. We had a franchise quarterback that set records. We had a, a hall of fame, tight end number one weapon for a decade. Plus we had all of these things, a hall of fame running back. We had hall of fame defenders. We had everything you could possibly ask for on the field. And yet it could never get it done for whatever reasons it was luck injuries a better quarterback just on the other side a combination of all of it and you just start are you in the josh allen era that just has to live in the patrick mahomes era is that what we're in are we in the era where patrick mahomes is just the tom brady or the the boss we'll say and we have josh allen but unfortunately there's even this other guy joe burrow that if he stays healthy it seems like he's always in that mix too and then on top of it, you just naturally can understand there's an ascension, a guy who is right now about to get his second MVP that is currently sitting in that one seat in the AFC in the Baltimore Ravens with Lamar Jackson. And even then he can throw in those splashes for you like a big Ben, not saying it's in the same way at all, but regardless, like a big Ben who, as long as he has the right opportunities and he has that one seed and he's having an MVP year with a lot of good things around him he can even get it done because it's a well-run organization that understands how to win, especially in big time moments like the Steelers would, you know, they just needed to make sure they avoided certain things or just had things go their way. Are we just in that era, unfortunately, where it just won't happen? I'm not saying this is definite, but we're no longer in that confident mode where, well, Allen will definitely get a Super Bowl. He is fully capable of winning a Super Bowl. This, if the Bills have a well-constructed team around number 17, this team will always be in contention to win a Super Bowl. That is just fact. That is the only fact, though, that I can honestly say with that when it comes to the Bills, Josh Allen, and winning a championship. Because from there, I really don't know if it actually will happen anymore. And that's sad because, yeah, after 13 seconds, there was a mighty level of confidence. And even last season for a long stretch there, there was a lot of confidence that this team truly could do it. And Josh Allen would finally win one. And I, after this game and with what we're staring down the barrel of moving forward, I truly don't know anymore. If you gave me a chance to make a wager, will he or won't he win a Super Bowl in Buffalo? I would put my bet on no at this point in time. It's just too hard to win a Super Bowl in this league. You got to be too buttoned up in the big games and, 
so far we've seen this team is not that. And I, I don't think, I think coming off of 13 seconds and then going out and signing Von Miller, we had this belief that this roster was just like the best in the sport. And I don't feel that way, like remotely close to at all right now. I feel like this roster is pretty average. And a lot of that is because of what we mentioned before, some players aging out, um, some players getting hurt. Um, but I think this is a kind of an averageish roster elevated by their quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see what Brandon Bean can do going forward. Um, I, I do think here's, here's the good news. I, I think the bills are going to continue to get kicks at the can. I think as long as Josh Allen is your quarterback, you're going to make the playoffs more often than not. Will there be the fluky year where something happens? They don't make it like almost this year was sure. But in general, if Josh Allen's here for the next 10 years, I think they'll probably have seven or eight more playoff runs. Can one of those years be their year? Sure. Why not? But another opportunity went by the wayside tonight and uh, the bills are left watching Patrick Mahomes play in the AFC championship game. And, you know, I think they're going to lose that game. And then that's another conversation of like, here's another quarterback that's beaten Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs and another quarterback in the AFC that's been in the Super Bowl. That's not Josh Allen. It's not fair, but it's the reality. And uh, that's that's what we're staring at here in this long, long offseason. Do not turn on national sports media tomorrow, folks. It's just not going to be uh, just watch McAfee. McAfee will make you laugh. Um, all right, Luca, let's get to game balls and game checks. The last one of the year. Uh, game ball will go to our MVP of the game. Game checks will be the player that should hand over his game check. The Bills lose to the Kansas City Chiefs 27 to 24 in Buffalo Orchard Park, to be specific. Luca, who gets your game ball for their performance tonight? Um, man. Uh, <laughs> it's really hard to give a game ball. I'll be, I'll be quite frank. I mean, and, and I. I will say this with the stipulation, Josh Allen absolutely deserves every accolade possible for this game, but I'm just trying to find someone else. That is truly what I'm doing right now. Um, man, I, I, I wish I was prepared, but unfortunately, unlike every other episode we've ever done, I've just, it's not exactly like we were doing show prep here. You want me to give you mine so you can think about it? Yeah, please do. All right. I'm not going to give it to Josh Allen. I thought Josh Allen was very good, but I, I do think in those crunch time moments, I think he he made a couple throws that whether it was the decision to be aggressive or, you know, whatever, I feel like the whole operation was off at the very end, and, and that's unfortunate. My game ball is going to go to linebacker Tyrell Dodson. Uh, he came into the game hurt. He left the game hurt. He came back, and there were a lot of issues on defense tonight. But I thought he played as well as anybody on that side of the ball. He brings an attitude, a swagger to this defense on a season where the Bills lost Matt Milano and they lost Terrell Bernard. Tyrell Dodson went from being a backup special teams player that you feel like is a net negative anytime he's on the field to in this game feeling like he's the one guy you can't afford to lose on that defense. Good for him. Good season for him. He's going to be a free agent. I don't know if he's going to be back or not. One of those situations where, you know, you'd like to see him stay, but boy, if if he can if he can parlay this season that he's had into a big payday elsewhere, you would just feel great for somebody like that. That's a cool story. And and I'm I'm very happy to give Tyrell Dodson my game ball for tonight. He had he also led the team in tackles, seven tackles. Yeah, that's a fair one. I, I'm gonna give mine to Khalil Shakir. 
I, I, I'm going to do that because I think even in those crunch moments, there's clearly something going on and it, it feel, it felt like in the mid stretch of the season, when Dawson Knox was no longer there, that was when we truly saw the connection between Allen and Kincaid grow. Um, but in key moments in the playoffs and stuff, an individual who was available then, and maybe it was play calling that was just steering it away from them. What was developed late in the season and then has developed now here we were at the divisional game is the the touchdown that never happened was a target to Khalil Shakir. That was one of two targets he did not catch. The other seven that he did catch totaled only 44 yards and a touchdown, but clearly he was the guy Allen was looking for in crunch and key moments. Like in crunch time, when he needed to find someone, number 10 downfield was what Allen was looking for a lot of the times. And Shakir, in all his credit, answered the call every time. And unfortunately, it's not anything for massive explosive plays. I will just say, fun fact, Kansas City had eight plays, 20 yards or more. The Bills had zero tonight. The longest play that the Bills had tonight was actually Josh Allen running for 18 yards. Mm -hmm. um, that's not good. No. But when plays needed to be had, especially that touchdown catch, um, Khalil Sh Shakir was there for Josh Allen. So because of that, I'll give Shakir my game ball. Yep. I like that a lot. I thought he had some real big catches and boy, has he turned into a really reliable receiver. You're right though. There, the lack of explosion in this offense has been very concerning. Diggs doesn't really have that downfield speed anymore. I think they were missing Gabe Davis, but I mean, Gabe date. We we've seen Gabe Davis. I, I think they need to re rebuild this entire wide receiver room. Khalil Shakir will certainly be a part of that. Hopefully Justin shorter can be something. All right, Luke, a little bit easier on this side. Who gets your game check award uh, for the the final edition of this season's game balls and game checks? Yeah, I mean, line up. Who do who who do we want to give this to? I mean, it's funny too. I'll give a mini shout out. Not that it was game ball worthy, but I'll give a mini shout out to Von Miller. Finally, for once, he actually showed up with noteworthy plays. So, mini shout out for Von Miller. It's just laughable how I can't believe I'm saying that because in a day where it feels depressing. There was one guy who actually finally showed up after not showing up for a long time, even if it was little things. Um, we learned that little things is kind of what cost us this game. So how can I go anywhere else? Sean McDermott, dude, what the F? Yeah. You you manage this game so poorly, especially down, uh, you know, when you needed to manage it well the most and just have foresight and have the ability to pay attention to every little thing. And he just didn't do it. And honestly, it's just one of those things, man, where he's never going to be able to escape the conversation of have we just reached the ceiling with Sean McDermott? Have has this team just become and plateaued to what they are now? And it will be nothing better because this is just yet another of a long line of examples of how McDermott, when it needed to happen, couldn't get it done for whatever game management detail, you know, focus, whatever it is, a combination of it all that he just wasn't paying attention to or wasn't doing it well enough. So, yeah, I mean, Sean McDermott, you get my game check. Yeah, it's a good call. <clears throat> I want to talk about McDermott when we're done with this segment because uh, I just had a thought. Um, all right. Um, there's a few guys I want to call out here. I think Tyler Bass is kind of the low hanging fruit. He had a really disappointing playoffs. He missed two field goals. Uh, he missed one tonight. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, that feels like the cheap way out. 
Um, quite honestly, Leonard Floyd, this was a matchup that the uh, defensive ends, the edges needed to win. And like, you didn't even register a tackle in this game. That's unacceptable. And I know we're all excited. Leonard Floyd got 10 and a half sacks this year. Um, I am, I'm, I'm a okay with Leonard Floyd leaving via free agency and hopefully netting the bills, a, a compensatory draft pick. I would much, much, much assume see the bills try to get a moderate deal done with AJ Epinesa versus uh, continuing to invest in an older player. So I'm going to go with Leonard Floyd as my uh, again. No, no, he was my, he was my shout out. Uh, Stefan Diggs. Sorry. <laughs> I, sorry. Leonard Floyd was, yeah. Le- Leonard Floyd was my, uh, my other like honorable mention. Stefan Diggs though, uh, three catches, 21 yards, drops the big one on the last drive. Um, say what you want to about the histrionics last year against the Bengals and leaving the locker room early. Um, you put your, you put your teammates in a tough spot when they had to answer for you. Josh Allen has been the best teammate possible for you defending you at every turn when it was obvious you were going through some things that you were certainly allowed to go through. Uh, but when that all happens, you can't have what happened tonight happen, and it did. And it's not the reason the Bills lost, but it's a it's something I will certainly remember from this game. Sean McDermott, Luca, we, we talked about before whether the Bills should be open to moving on from him. And it's interesting. I, I just thought about this. Maybe it's because the Lions or the, the Ravens played yesterday and Jim Harbaugh was in attendance. But we talk about buttoned up coaches and, and giving your team an edge and, and all this stuff. It's not like I expect the Bills to fire Sean McDermott. But also, Terry Pagula could take a look around and be like, Bill Belichick's a free agent. Pete Carroll, if you want it, is a free agent. These are Super Bowl winning head coaches. Jim Harbaugh, who just won a national championship that I think most people think is going to be a very good NFL coach, again, is a free agent. There are options out there. There there are still high-level coordinators. We're talking about the Detroit offensive coordinator. We still have Eric Bieniemy, if you like it. Um, there's options out there. This isn't like, well, who are we going to hire? We're just going to pull Dick Duran from the pile. Uh, I'm not saying that the Bills should fire Sean McDermott, but does the fact that they couldn't bring in the head coach with the most Super Bowl wins in the history of the sport at least have a chance to move the needle for Terry Pagula, or do you think that they're just completely locked in? I don't think they're locked in. I, I think it would be irresponsible to be locked in at this point in time. You have watched your team now regress for three consecutive years. Well, four, really. Um, you, you, and it's it's harsh a little bit to be saying regress, but in all reality, you you went from losing the AFC Championship game somewhat handedly to then losing in a historic fashion on the road in the divisional round to then losing in horrific fashion at home in the divisional round to then losing again with a good opportunity in front of you on your own reasons at home in the divisional round as four consecutive years where the end result feels like a constant regression by whatever level you want to say it. And it's that plateau effect of just understanding what you are at McDermott and everyone always analyzes a roster and where can you get better? What can you do? What can you bring in? What can you subtract? All of that stuff. Coaches also are in that evaluation and rarely do you have a free agent market 
that it is what it is in the coaching world like right now. And you have your Belichick, you have your Harbaugh, you have, you know, if you even go down the line a little bit, your Ben Johnson, as you mentioned in Detroit, you have, um, you, you have your Mike Vrabel, depending on how you feel about Mark ba- Mike Vrabel. You have a lot of these different guys out there that truly do feel like options that if you are not satisfied or don't believe that this can get any better with what you currently have on the payroll, you should probably do something about it. Whether Terry actually does something about it, I don't know. I, I don't know if he lets personal feelings go into this, which I'm I'm assuming he has a great relationship personally with McDermott. But in strict business terms and roster evaluation and coach evaluation, this is a year of all years where I would not say that it's we're just stuck with what we have because you you kind of have one of those opportunities unlike anything else you've ever seen where there is a plethora of options rather than most other years where you probably have to take a risk on, you know, the top, the top coach option is that Ben Johnson type guy. And then everyone else underneath that is just more risky. We'll call it coordinators and or promotions or a guy from college football that you want to see how he is in the NFL rank, stuff like that. I mean, it's a crazy head coaching year to finish with this where all of a sudden you're seeing reports about how chip Kelly is a name being thrown around league circles again in the NFL, which is a wild thought in my mind. He seems like he is a college coach. I think this is more speculative than anything else. I don't think there's too much likes to this because chip Kelly seems like he's very happy and satisfied with where he's at right now at UCLA, who is now going to be moving into the big 10. So he's in a great position to make a lot of money and do what he does great. in the college level, but overall, it's one of those things where there is plenty of options that it feels irresponsible if Pagula just immediately kind of just accepted McDermott for what it is. And we're just going to move on moving forward and not peek behind door number two and see what could be if you change something up there, because the plateau is real. The coaching plateau kind of McDermott is what he is. There's too much track record now and too much history to tell you that anything else could change from there in that regard. It feels like if you're going to do anything else that'll get you over the hump, it will not be due to coaching. It's going to have to come from somewhere else. So why not explore coaching elsewhere if this is just not good enough? I'm with you. I know you're I know you a big fan of Harbaugh. It's not even a question worth asking. Would you take Belichick over McDermott for the Bills next year? <sighs> Belichick's the most interesting conversation. I mean, it's like, the track record, of course, speaks for itself, but the culture and the and what Belichick seems to bring to the table, I don't know if it's truly something you want to kind of throw at what's built currently. Like it, it's it's one of those weird things where do I think it would be a failure? No, I mean I, I think it could work, but it it feels more of a how do I say this? It feels like more of a risk to me than if you were to go the Harbaugh or I love the Ben Johnson idea, but like me if too. you went one of those options, it feels like that could be something that would be less of a risk than a Belichick. And it's not because of track record or, you know, what they bring to the table themselves, but it's generally what comes with that. And there is a lot that goes on with Belichick that, you know, I, I do believe it would, 
it'd be culture shock we'll call it i think in house and stuff and there would are we are we really thinking that it would be a seamless transit transition man i can't even talk anymore do we think it would be a seamless transit oh, jesus is it gonna be seamless? I yeah I, i'm I so tired at this point and just yeah. numb um is it gonna be seamless probably not I just I just don't see that with a Belichick thing. There's a lot that goes on in New England or had gone on in New England for years and decades that it would probably be a little bit of a culture shock situation, more so than what you would see with another new coach like a Harbaugh or a Ben Johnson. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I'm assuming McDermott will be back and I'm assuming Joe Brady will be back. I mean, I know he's got the interview. Mm. He's got the interview in Atlanta. I don't expect that to I actually think that's where Belichick goes. Um I don't necessarily need Joe Brady to be back. Maybe we can get into that this off season, but I don't want Joe Brady back. I'll just even throw that out there now. Um, his Joe Brady doesn't feel game changing on an offensive play calling. You need to hand him something for him then to just take over and see what he can do. I think the second half of this game should be something that others should look at when it comes to Joe Brady. And that's where I'll leave that. It's just too many times. The play calling situation was definitely something I would put into question, particularly in the second half. And it's just one of those things where if it wasn't for Allen making a play, if it wasn't for whatever it was, something that we complained about a lot with Dorsey, not that it was as bad as Dorsey era, but it was kind of that similar vibe ish where the play calling wasn't what was, carrying through to keep drives going or in the second half it's not like a whole heck of a lot of drives are going of course but if the ball was moving it wasn't due to play calling do you buy into the narrative or the idea that joe brady will be just fine because he had to basically run ken dorsey's playbook because he didn't get off-season install and give him an off-season to install his own playbook it'll be different or are you kind of i guess you're already saying it he, he kind of is what he is which is good but not like a game changer he's yeah he i i don't so it's it's really hard with joe brady to understand what he is because the only things you have are he was the passing game coordinator at lsu when they had a historic season but also they had joe burrow jamar chase and uh what you call it justin jefferson so in the college ranks, that's a pretty good offense to have, especially in the passing game. I'd say so. Then he goes to the NFL where he's in Matt Rule's staff. He lasts all of a season, but at the same time, he's kind of a support staff figure there because you know Matt Rule's kind of running the offense. He's ruling the offense. So he's overseeing it and everything of that regard. Then he comes here and he is again in a support staff structure where he's there to support and be with and install an offense that he then did with Dorsey and then just took over once the move was made with Dorsey, of course. And it feels like when have we seen Joe Brady actually in his career install his own offense? I don't know if we've ever even seen that. So in a championship window, we'll call it with 17. Are you really willing after what just happened with Dorsey, especially, are you really willing to do that now? with Joe Brady when you could probably do something better elsewhere with someone that has a better proven track record or a track record at all in installing an offense that can be successful. Yeah. 
going to be interesting. We're we're now to the offseason. It comes quick. Sean McDermott has won one, two, three, four, five playoff games as Bill's head coach. Uh, one interesting nugget. He's only won one playoff game where the spread was three points or less. He's won other games where he was a decisive favorite. The Colts, um, the Dolphins last year with Skylar Thompson, the Steelers last week. Um, the Ravens game was the one where the Bills were only two and a half point favorites. Every other win, he, uh, the Patriots, the Bills were significant favorites. I think it was five or six. So, yeah, I mean, that that says something. Um, these are the games that, you know, this was a this was a three-point spread tonight. The Bills were favored by three in game of inches, and, and the Bills lost those inches. We have a lot to get into this offseason. We will be here every step of the way. Disappointing end to the Bills season, and uh, we'll have to see what this offseason brings. Luca and I will be back on Bills Chat Live this Friday as we will have some time to marinate on this game and see how we're feeling and maybe breathe and maybe we have some new fresh perspective. Maybe we'll just be extra depressed, but <laughs> as we enter our off season schedule, we will obviously be uh, toning down the live shows a little bit and, and taking a little bit of a break. But um, Luca, any final thoughts for the folks out here who are in pain, who any, any, any words of wisdom from Luca? It doesn't get better. It's going to be miserable from here. No. Um, well, I mean, I will just say I, I hate that the thing that I keep doing after divisional rounds is booking a virtual tea time at a sim bar. That's becoming an annual tradition at this point. You're not going to watch next week. God, no, just can't do it. It's it's like I, it's gotten to a point now where, like I'm saying, it's an annual tradition. I will say I got a lot of personal skin in the game and I'm hoping and praying that the Ravens win after an appearance on somewhere else that they laughed at the idea of needing to be worried about Lamar. That's all I'll say to that. Um, it, I don't even want to try to give like some sort of positive speech here, or motivational thing or whatever it is. It's like grieve in your own way. Like we will all be doing the same. This is football. This is fandom. This isn't life defining things of that nature. And I know after I edit this episode, I get it ready so everyone else can listen and watch, which we always appreciate, um, that when I go to sleep, I wake up, I got work to do, and honestly, the best thing that will happen is getting my Monday workday going so that there is something else to look forward to because this is an end-all, be-all. And next thing you know, Josh, it's going to be draft season, and then even after that, football will be back. And we all know we will all be very, very excited for when that time comes. So I look forward to that, even though it's not necessarily too true at this moment in time. But um, it's going to be it's going to be um, it's going to be an interesting offseason. That's for sure. There's 32 teams in the sport. One team ends with a happy ending. Uh, the Bills went 17 years without making it to the playoffs. We dreamed of nights like this, Luca, where we'd be sad about a playoff loss, and now here we are feeling like that it can't get any worse. Uh, it can. The Bills are the Bills are still a team that has a shot. They'll probably be in the top five. I mean, nobody wants to hear this top five betting odds for next year to win the Super Bowl, and we'll see what they do this offseason to get it done. Um, I will be watching next weekend. I'm sure I will, but um, I will say my one piece of advice is if you are two feet in with the bills and we hope you are, we are, we love the bills. It's, you know, our number one team. We love it. I highly recommend finding another team in another sport to 
to rally around. Luca's got Sabres. Luca's got the lacrosse team, the Bandits. Oh, I got, I got tons of stuff. Yeah. Liverpool FC, stuff Liverpool, like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, does he love those teams as much as the Bills? Maybe not. Does he do the do the Bandits losses hurt as much as a Bills playoff loss? Probably not. They but it's it's good. an it's a nice distraction and it's a nice way of remembering that there's more than just this. This team behind me here is Denver Nuggets. Nobody has to care about that. I don't expect you to, but like that's going to be where my sports fandom attention goes to along with Bill's offseason stuff. And it's it's good to expand your horizons. Don't put all of your eggs into one basket because as much as me as much as we love, as much as we care, as much as we all want to see one title before we die, the harsh reality of all of this is Luca, I and all of you out there have zero, zero control over whether or not this team wins. Zero. We can root. We can cheer. We will be in pain for a while. Uh, but no matter what, all that pain, all that energy, all that thought process, we have no control over it. It stinks, um, but it's it's the reality. So best of luck to all of you in this new healing process we're in. And uh, Luca and I will be here this offseason to help guide you through that. And then as we turn our attention toward the draft and free agency and we start doing the dance again, and then we'll talk ourselves into a Super Bowl next year. Uh, for Luca, I am Josh McCarty. The Bills season is done. We will see you next time on Bills.